Chapter One of Yesterday Framed in Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Yesterday Framed in Today A Story of the Christ and How Today Received Him by Pansy. Chapter One We Have Heard the Fame of Him. May I, the writer of this book, offer in its opening chapter a word of explanation to my readers i think you are about to read that which is unlike anything else now in print there are no rules pertaining to history or chronology that will apply to it it is crowded with anachronisms the only excuse for them being that they are intentional for a set purpose that i have tried to carry out dates and periods of time have been deliberately confused also let me frankly confess to having arranged on paper that which in real life could not be that is our present state of civilization has been made use of without the aid of the new testament in other words i have taken this present time with its railroads and telegraphs and phonographs and electric lights and what not and lifted into it from out of the historic past a central figure the central figure of all time the one without whose coming we would not even have counted time as we now do the man christ jesus i have conceived of him as walking the streets of our modern cities and villages meeting the people of to-day people who dress and act and think in the new testament era yet have knowledge only of the old i have imagined such people coming in contact with this central light as it shone on earth centuries ago and treating it in the same spirit that men and women treated it then, the spirit in which undoubtedly very many would receive him now, were he to come again in the same humble, local way. My object in making this effort, no, on second thought I will leave you to discover my object. If you fail in finding it soon, and sharply defined, I will have signally failed in my effort." I want simply to ask you to read carefully and with unprejudiced eyes. With which brief explanation, I turn to my story. Mrs. Holman moved about the room with a very manifest unrest upon her. She opened and closed again doors and windows and boxes with no apparent object, and in other ways showed a perturbed spirit that was very unlike her usual quiet self very frequently her nervous glance was turned toward a door that stood ajar from behind which could be heard a murmur of voices at intervals she entered the room where the talkers were and engaged in the conversation returning again even more disturbed at the extreme end of the room by a southern window sat a young woman in neat home dress busily sewing a pure-faced sweet-eyed young woman with an abundance of brown hair that waved low on her forehead she was almost too young to be called a woman yet there was about her such an atmosphere of womanhood that one disliked to name her simply a girl frances is a very womanly girl said those who were intimate with her thus compromising between the two words while comparative strangers had been known to describe her as a sweet girlish-looking woman her cheeks were pinker this morning than was quite natural although they had generally a healthful glow 
and a close observer would have noted that the hand which held the swift-moving needle trembled a little as she arrested it from time to time to arrange her work. Her eyes also expressed, not trouble like her mother's, nor even anxiety, they simply suggested that her heart was throbbing with an interest that she was carefully holding in check. During one of her mother's absences from the room, the door leading into the hall opened suddenly, and Margaret Holman entered. Whatever this young girl did was done with suddenness. It seemed sometimes as though she fairly rushed at life, and tore its blessings from its hand with an excitement that almost frayed the garments of the blessings. Margaret lives too fast, said certain of her friends. She will use up all her vital force, and be an old woman exhausted with life, years before her time. It is difficult to describe a girl like Margaret Holman. For that matter, it is difficult to describe anybody. What have hair and eyes and features, regular or irregular, to do with it? Everybody has eyes and lips and a nose apiece whether the eyes are blue or grey, and the nose be Roman or a trifle turned up, makes much less difference than we are inclined to imagine. It is, of course, the subtle something behind all these, which one never attempts to describe, that repels or attracts, or it may be, awakens only indifference. There shall be no attempt at this point to describe Margaret Holman, further than to say that the excitement which was being held in check by her sister fairly blazed in the girl's expressive face. "'How can you sit there and sew, just as usual?' she exclaimed. "'I believe if you had received word that there would be an earthquake to-morrow that would tear this house from its foundations, you would still draw that needle back and forth and make those little bits of stitches. It would drive me wild.' "'Which?' said Francis the knowledge of the earthquake or the sewing? Both. How can you be so still when we are all wrought up? Something ought to be done. You should talk to David. He will listen to you, if he will to anybody in the world. The needle flew in and out faster, if possible, than before, but the worker remained silent, only a slightly deepening flush on her cheek indicating that she had heard. Why don't you speak? asked Margaret impatiently. Say something. If you don't, I shall scream. Francis Holman, why don't you go and tell them it is impossible? I cannot, Francis said at last, dropping her work and looking fully at her sister. I cannot take such a risk. I don't understand. Doesn't all the risk lie in his carrying out this wild idea? I am sure you could prevent it, and yet you sit there and talk about risk. I believe in my heart that you want him to try it. The work was back again in the elder sister's fingers, the needle making good progress. At this last sentence the color flamed to her forehead, but her voice, when she spoke again, was low and controlled. I am only too glad, dear, that it is not a question for me to decide. We must remember that David is not a boy to be controlled, but a man, with such a burden to bear as you and I cannot understand. What must it be to lie year after year in that one room? It is worse than death, infinitely, it would be for me. Besides, sometimes it seems to me as though I could not bear it for him any longer. Margaret turned away abruptly to hide tears. She stood for some moments with her back to her sister, 
then half turning spoke more quietly i know all that of course don't we all know what you have been to him through these years i don't suppose i realize it fully by any means yet ever since i was ill for five weeks i have understood it better still what has that to do with the present situation he is bracing himself up for a terrible effort which if he should live through it and i know mother is afraid he would not would only result in a terrible disappointment once more the sewing dropped and frances clasped her hands so tightly that her nerves tingled with the pain as she asked is there not a possibility that he might be helped frances it was the only word her sister spoke but it seemed to the girl almost like a blow she went on hurriedly i know all you would say but think remember what we have heard within a few weeks what we are constantly hearing do you forget mrs ames she was very ill indeed they said oh they said if you are going to quote the gossip of the street there is an end to common sense mrs ames at the best is a woman who imagines herself ill enough to die if she has but the toothache and as for crediting for a moment the wild stories that are afloat about her francis i am astonished at you is philip responsible for the state of mind but Frances was evidently not accustomed to being addressed in this way. She looked steadily into her sister's excited eyes, as she said with dignity, "'Never mind Philip, if you please. There is no occasion to bring his name into our talk.' "'I beg your pardon,' said the impetuous girl, her face aflame. "'I did not mean to say anything disagreeable, but I want to ask one question. If father had heard your words just now, what would he have said?' For father's sake, if for nothing else, you ought to use your influence. If he were here, you know he would not permit this for a moment. And in his absence— In his absence, interrupted Francis, still with dignity, but quite gently, I cannot assume his responsibilities. The truth is, dear, that David has been ill so long, we have all learned to speak of him as though he were a child under our control, instead of a man of thirty even father remember would have no right to control his movements margaret made a gesture of impatience do you know that seems like nonsense she said quickly so long as david is watched over and cared for like a child i think he owes it to father and mother to follow their advice he has been quite willing to do so i am sure and would be now if he hadn't lost his senses over this excitement those young men have talked to him till he doesn't know what he thinks i must say that they take a good deal upon themselves coming here to urge the claims of an entire stranger when we have a family physician in whom we have all confidence i wish father were at home or philip when is he coming i am sure he would not allow any movement so wild as this i do not know when he will come and i do not think he would interfere if he were here neither will i it may sound strangely to you but i mean it when i say i dare not use my influence our brother has suffered enough without our trying to treat him as though he were reduced to mental as well as physical helplessness he has deliberately resolved to make this supreme effort and i dare not open my lips to try to prevent it margaret turned away impatiently just as her mother re-entered the room francis 
she said dropping into a chair near her daughter will you not try once more to get david to listen to reason i fear for the consequences of this excitement those young men must see how much i want them to go away what right have they to invade our home and work my poor boy into a fever there was a moment of painful silence then francis spoke low mother i shall have to say to you as i did to margaret that i dare not interfere david has set his heart upon this and the consequences of disappointment are more to be dreaded than the effort yes said mrs holman quickly that is what i feel if his poor body could bear such an ordeal what of the afterwards when he is back again in the old place oh it is cruel cruel she hid her face in her hands and francis sat in troubled silence again then speaking very gently dear mother very strange things are happening in the city do you not remember what we have heard within a few days how can we know but that we can know that a great many people are being deluded of satan said mrs holman in a strong excitement i did not think it possible that you could be carried away by a cruel and wicked delusion what will your father say oh if he were only at home the cause of all this solicitude and distress can be given in few words david holman the son of the house was a hopeless helpless invalid the large bright room where he lay had been his world ever since he was twenty-three and he was now nearing his thirtieth birthday during much of this time he had suffered racking pain being unable to bear a movement from his bed to his invalid chair save at the expense of hours of torture finally a couch of peculiar pattern had been constructed for his use and no attempt had been made to move him to any other here he had lain day after day and year after year being tenderly cared for borne with patiently in his most irritable hours entertained when his nerves could endure it soothed and petted like a suffering child when that treatment was what he needed the habit of the house had been to think and speak of him as though he were the peculiar blessing of their lives instead of being what he had been a wild reckless boy whose uncontrolled will had brought him at last to the narrow world where he could only lie and wait he was never by word or look reminded of this by common consent the family had ignored the past but it will be well understood that the young man himself was unable to do so how much of his pain grew out of the fact that he had brought himself to this condition only he and his god knew of course during all these years no effort nor expense had been spared in securing the most skilful medical treatment more than once in the earlier years had the hopes of the entire family been raised to the highest pitch only to be brought low again when the new treatment utterly failed by degrees the family settled to the realization that there was nothing for the idolized son and brother but to wait until the earthly tabernacle could be put off many were the hours spent in secret weeping and praying for the beloved one that when that time came he might be prepared for it it seems strange to have to record the fact but fact it was that near as he had been to death hopeless as he was in life he yet did not for years attempt any preparation for that other world 
which alone could have any hope for him. To his sister Frances this condition of things had seemed far more terrible than the bodily suffering, and for weeks together her prayer for him had been one prolonged cry for mercy. There came a time when he seemed somewhat changed, less indifferent to all religious conversation, less irritable when her words became what he used to call personal. He said very little indeed on the subject, but that little, if not encouraging, was certainly less discouraging, and the sister, who was his chief attendant, began to have a trembling hope that he had found, or was finding, God. Then suddenly had come into their quiet home a strange new influence, a bewilderment, a hope, or a delusion. They knew not how to name it. End of chapter 1